you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible. We're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians, the last third of this book we've called this series, What's Wrong with Church? Um, If you've ever been to a church, you can understand why we picked that title. Uh, But more specifically than the general problem that churches have are specific problems that are brought up in 1 Corinthians. Uh, So in 1 Corinthians, there's this problem of pride and division that just keeps coming back again and again. And Paul is calling them back to essentially the gospel, saying our salvation and our security comes in Jesus, not in our tribes, our clubs, ourselves. It's in Jesus. And so as we unify under the headship of Jesus, we're going to help the world see Jesus more clearly. But when we divide up and we make our ministries and our church is all about our favorite way of doing things, then we're calling the attention away from Jesus into our favorite way of doing things. So this is something that he's been hitting again and again throughout this book. This week, we're continuing in chapter 12. We started chapter 12 last week, and it's going to be one body, many parts. One body, many parts will be in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. If you don't have your own Bible, we've got some Bibles under the chairs, and you could grab one of those and turn to page 958. And you can follow along with us, 958, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll be in verses 12 through 31. Uh, Big summary for this passage is one body, many parts. What does that mean? Uh, We are the body of Jesus Christ. We are to do his work in the world. Um, And he is our head, and we're all the other body parts, right? And bodies are quite diverse. You have pinkies that do one thing, thumbs that do one thing, feet, elbows, nose, you know, like there's just all these different parts, internal organs. And all those diverse parts come together to serve one body. One body functions together. And that's the call for the church, that we would bring all our different gifts, our different backgrounds, our different interests, and align them under the headship of Jesus. So I had an experience recently that has happened a lot to me in my lifetime. You've probably had a similar experience. Um, I was waking up in the middle of the night, felt really kind of groggy and disoriented, and it felt like I had rolled over on top of my wife's arm. And so I felt really bad and, you know, I'm trying to get off of this arm and I'm kind of pushing on it and poking and I realize that's not my wife's arm. Oh no. (laughs) And after a little more disorientation and grogginess, it starts to tingle a lot and I realize that's my arm. My arm's completely asleep. And I don't know if you've ever done this where you, you know, you can like pick it up and it just flops. It's so dead asleep, right? Um, And that is the strangest feeling because you're supposed to be able to feel your arm, right? Like there's, there's normal when your body works, and then there's not normal. Sometimes it's, you know, a limb falls asleep. Sometimes we're sick. Sometimes we're broken. I'm, you know, cruising deep into middle age, and every week a new body part breaks, right? And, and so I can, I can remember when it worked, and I can grieve over now it's not working right. Paul's going to use that kind of analogy and say, we all want to work together. We all want to work together. All of the parts matter. You might feel like you don't matter. And Paul is saying to you this morning, you matter. You're important in the body of Christ. Another more radical way to say it, I said last week, is that God's plan for the world is the people of God. The church is his plan right now. There are future things where Jesus is going to come back and make everything right. We're going to get to see him face to face. He's going to wipe away every tear. But right now, we are his plan, and we are to align and unify as his body, as his hands and feet in the world. So we'll read this in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll start in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, 
Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing all the way through right now. I'm going to read kind of the beginning part, and then we'll finish it later in the morning. But starting in verse 12, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should, belo- uh, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I'm going to stop there. As I said, he's going to go on with this argument, and we'll look at all these verses as we move through the morning. But I just want to stop there and recognize this, this general idea. We might be, based on how we grew up or where we came from, tempted to think that, that the role we play doesn't matter. And some other role is more important. And Paul's saying, no, all the roles are important. All of you are important. We all want to wake up. We all want to be a part of what God's doing in the world through the local church. And he said that what unifies us is God's work. What makes us a part of the body is God saving us and God sending his spirit to give us life and help us to see his goodness. So I'm going to pray now that his spirit would help us in this moment to see what he's doing, to awaken our hearts, to help us to receive his word. I'm going to pray that that he would be with us now. Let me pray. God, thank you that you invite us to serve you. Thank you that we get to be a part of your work in the world. It's terrifying and humbling, but it's also exciting that you would use us, Lord. Uh, that you're able by your miraculous power to do more than, than we could ask or imagine. And so we pray that you would work that in our lives, that you would awaken our hearts to, to hear and receive your word, that you would um, heal our hearts from the shame and brokenness we feel that, that we cannot be used, that we're not of any value. God, help us to see what you're doing in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have one a big idea as far as application goes for the whole sermon, and I'm just going to kind of keep hammering it over and over again, so let me give that to you up front. The idea is that it is one body, right? We're a part of Jesus supernaturally by trusting in what he's done for us. And what that means is that we all have value. And so I'm going to just hammer you again and again this morning to partner actively with the life of the local church. It's nice to talk abstractly about because Uh, Jesus loves us. We're a part of his universal body. You know, there's this all people for all time that God has ever saved. That's true. We are a part of uh, every person that's ever been saved. We're all one, right? But God asks us to actually function in unity in a local church. So I'm going to press you to take next steps of partnership with this local church. And I just want you to be praying about that as we look through the text this morning. What does that look like for you? Um, what does it look like for you to use your gifts? Or what does it look like for you to come alongside someone else's gifts and to help them to serve? What's the next step of partnership you could take in the local church? We hit it every week. We see, uh, say, gather, serve, and join. We're going to talk mostly today about serving. What does it look like to serve? Could you serve on one of our Sunday morning teams? Could you host a small group? Could you teach Sunday school? Um, also, what would it look like for you to financially partner with our church? Could you take a next step of financial partnership, giving, as the Lord has blessed you, trusting that you're not giving to win his love, but you're giving because you believe he already loves you. What would that look like for you? And then one more thing, a lot of people don't even know that we do this, but we have formal membership at our church. We call it partnership. We have little forms in the back, and that step is just filling out that form and basically defining your relationship with our church and saying, I I believe in Jesus, 
and I would like to partner and cooperate with this local church. We'd love for you to fill out that form and let us meet with you and hear your story of how Christ has worked in your life. So those are some kind of general partnership involvement applications, next steps that you could take. And we're going to look at those a lot throughout this morning. Uh, I've got a general outline as well through the text, and that is, number one, that we have to recognize the pain of not partnering. It's helpful to recognize that it's painful when we're not partnering. You know, just like in our own body, it's painful when, when part of our body doesn't work. It's painful in the body of Christ when people are not partnering together. Number two, we need to learn the mechanics of partnering. Like, what are the steps? How do, how do we take next steps? How can we get involved? Learn the mechanics of partnering. And then finally, find the spiritual power for true partnership. The spiritual power for true partnership. That comes from the gospel, right? We can't do any of this without Jesus waking us up and giving us new life by his spirit. So number one, recognize the pain of not partnering. And I want to pick up again in verse 15. Look at verse 15 again. He says, if the foot should not, or excuse me, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He is strongly condemning this divisiveness that was taking place in the church and the divisiveness that's still taking place today in our modern churches, where we would say, you don't matter or you don't matter because you're not the right kind of Christian. Paul says, no, in Christ, God has chosen to use all of us no matter what your temperaments are, no matter what your gifting is, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you came from, God wants to use you. That's one of the beautiful things that we see in the gospel. God gives dignity to every person. He creates us in his image. We fracture that image through our sin and disobedience. And yet he comes after us in forgiveness, in redemption, in love. He sends Jesus to take our sins upon himself, to forgive us, to set us free from that brokenness to reclaim, to reform, to restore us so that we can be of use to him in the world, to image him to our friends and neighbors. God wants to use you, no matter how much shame you feel that you don't think you're usable, but also no matter how much awesomeness you feel, right? He's, he's condemning the pride of the Corinthians that thought they were better than the others. So there are these damaging things that said in the church where we think, Certain gifts are better than other gifts, and uh, certain gifts should be used, and other gifts shouldn't be used. And he's saying, the body doesn't work when one part rebels and says, I don't, I don't want to be a part of it, right? The, the ear can't say, eyes don't matter, and eyes can't say, ears don't matter. We all matter. We all need to participate together. And so again, I think we fall off this horse on two sides. You might have fallen off the horse with pride. Maybe you think, maybe I think, my gift is the one that matters the most. Maybe I think, I'm, I'm special, and everybody else, they need to get their stuff together. He's calling on us to repent of our pride. Maybe it's shame. Maybe you feel like you don't matter. Maybe you've listened to those other voices that say, your gift doesn't matter. Your background is too shameful. God can't use you. You have to recognize, no, God 
can use me. He does use me. He loves me. He proved that by sending Jesus to die for me. Where are you on that spectrum? There's genuine pain when the body part doesn't partner fully with the body. I joked, I'm, you know, cruising into middle age. I'll be, I'm turning 49. I'll be 50 soon, another year. Uh, and every year, something else breaks, right? Does that happen to you? Everybody over like 25? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, my, my wife started to lose her hearing early 30s, I guess. It might have started before that, and we just hadn't figured it out yet. Um, but in her early 30s, started to lose her hearing. It's, it's pretty bad now. She, she wears hearing aids. I grabbed a picture of someone wearing hearing aids just to kind of give you a, a visual here. Um, so we're very thankful for the technology, right? The technology has vastly improved. So she can probably hear way better than someone with hearing aids 50 years ago, right? Because just the hearing aid technology is incredible. Very thankful for that, but it's still really painful. Like it's just painful to have a part that doesn't work right, even though it's, it's mostly restored through her bionic robot ears, right? <laughs> It's still, it's still frustrating, uh, and it comes up a lot, you know, in a mixed group where there's multiple voices, it gets harder to kind of understand what's going on. I see some of you also with hearing loss understanding what that's like. And many of you have experienced this in other areas, right? It may not be your ears. It may be your eyes. It may be your arms, your legs. It may be a long-term disease, chronic illness that you've been fighting with. We've all experienced this in the physical world. There, there's pain with a body part not fully partnering. And before we move on to Paul's spiritual application, I just want you to know that we look forward to Romans 8 promises, a day when all things will be made right. Jesus is going to fully restore you someday. We're not there yet, right? The time when all things are made right, we call that heaven, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. We really are looking forward to that. Right now, we're, we're limping along, doing the best we can. We pray that God would heal us, and sometimes God heals us now and gives us a taste of heaven. Sometimes he gives us a little taste of that day when everything is perfect. But even often when we're healed, we age and another part breaks, right? So even when we experience some temporary healing, the, this era, this age that we live in is, is the age of this brokenness and pain. We're all, we're all dealing with decayed and broken bodies at different levels, right? And so I just want you to hear, if you've really struggled with brokenness and, and physical maladies, just understand that, that God delights in you. And it may not feel like it when you're hurting, but we know he does because of the gospel. God was willing to pursue us to the extreme of entering into this world of, of physical pain and suffering and suffering for us ultimately on the cross. So that's our proof that God loves us and has not abandoned us. I also want you to know that the scripture is clear that all people are made in the image of God. So whether you feel strong or weak, God has still made you in his image. And so that's also something that we should recognize. We're all made with dignity. He, he respects all of us as persons in that sense. So what does this mean for, for Paul's spiritual application, though? Well, I think we need to recognize that we are all meant to be functioning members, functioning parts in Christ's body in this world. And so the question to ask yourself is, where am I? Am I just asleep and I need to be woken up? Maybe this sermon is the wake-up call, right? When my arm was asleep in the middle of the night, I was like, wake up, arm, right? And starts tingling and starts working again. Maybe that's all you need. Maybe you just need to hear, it's God's plan to use you in the local church. He wants to use you. Take next steps of getting involved. That may be you. 
some of you, it may be a, a real sense of brokenness. You need help. Ask for help. Just like the nervous system. The other day, I, I cut my finger, and my body told me that I'd cut my finger. It was cold out, right? So my hands were a little numb, but I started to feel it. I started to see the blood. I was like, oh, I need, I need to take action. The rest of the body had to take action to help the cut part of the body, right? Some of you may be hurt. Communicate that pain to the body so the body can help you. I talked last week about one of our pastors breaking his left shoulder. He was left-handed, so he had to lean on his right hand more, right? So wherever you are, take next steps. Your next step may just be reporting to the body, I want to serve more, but I don't think I can. And we can talk about that. We can pray through that. We can brainstorm about ways that you might be able to serve more. You may be able to partner more actively in the life of the local church. You may just need someone to pray with you and grieve with you right now. So whatever your next step is, take that next step. Take that next step. James is great. In James 5, he talks about this way. He kind of lays out three different options. There's a lot more to it in James 5, but he's like, uh, are you suffering? What should you do? Pray, ask for help. He says, are things going really well for you right now? What should you do? Praise God. Thank you, God, that things are going well. Keep going. Are you sick? He says, again, pray. Call the elders to pray for you. So no matter where you are, there's a next step of partnering in the body of Christ that, that you can take. And as I said before, uh, we talk about this with service. We need people to serve on a team. Can you take that next step of serving on one of our teams? Think about what it would be like if all the members of the body of Christ were actively engaged. I think as it is in most churches, it's like half the body is asleep, right? Like half the body is just kind of dragging and asleep. What would it be like if, if we were all thoroughly engaged? Wouldn't that be amazing? I think that would be incredible. It would be amazing if we had more people serving in kids' ministry. It would be amazing if we had more people hosting small groups and blessing their neighbors. It would be amazing if we had more people financially sponsoring the work of the church and helping us to push forward the gospel in Colleen and across the world. What's the next step you can take? As I said, too, a lot of people don't even know about our our little formal membership, formal partnership. Uh, In the Greek, there's a word that Paul uses a lot in 1 Corinthians 12, member, that member of the body. That's the Greek word melos. Um, And then there's this other word that's used a lot as well, partnership. Sometimes it's translated share. Sometimes it's participate. Sometimes it's partnership. Sometimes it's fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. Uh, And as a church, what we've said with our official membership is we've said, you know, we're going to call it partnership. Number one, we're kind of contrary, so we just don't like calling it membership, right? But number two, we just recognize that those are two sides of the same coin spiritually. So membership is kind of like a noun word for being a part of the body of Christ. Like, you're a part of the body of Christ. You're an arm or a leg in the body of Christ. But partnership is we're saying, we want you to wake up and do something. (laughs) We want you to be engaged. And so if you're willing to take that next step, that would be an amazing encouragement to us. You just grab one of those forms and fill it out and say, yeah, I want to meet with one of the leaders of the church, tell them who I am, define the relationship, say, yeah, I love Jesus, and I want to partner with this local church. That would encourage us. The second point is we have to learn the mechanics of partnering. So we can take those next steps, but there are I think are a lot of false teachings that Paul is combating here in Corinth that it's helpful for us to kind of recognize some of them. There's a million false teachings out there, right? But here are some that I think might affect us today that are, we're causing similar problems in Corinth. Uh, number one, people would say things like this, uh, real Christians don't get sick. 
You ever heard that kind of thing? Here's how it said, uh, if you're sick and you have enough faith, then God will heal you. And I would say, and the Apostle Paul would say, the Bible would say, no, that's wrong. Should we pray for healing? Yeah, as I said earlier, James says, call the elders to pray for you. Pray for healing. And sometimes God heals here and now. But when he chooses not to, that, that doesn't mean it's because he doesn't like you or, or you're a second-class Christian. Okay, so we need to fight against that false teaching. Another one that Paul was fall, uh, fighting against was real Christians speak in tongues or miraculous foreign languages. The Bible always translated as tongues, but it just means languages. So in the Bible, this thing would happen where the Holy Spirit would endow people with the ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus in other languages that they hadn't yet learned. It's a miraculous ability to speak in other languages. And so today and back then, some people were saying, well, those are the only Christians that count. If you have this miraculous display of the Holy Spirit, then you're a real Christian. Then you have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have it, you don't really have the Holy Spirit. But what have we been learning? And what is he going to keep telling us? No, that's not true. We all have the Holy Spirit if we just trust in Jesus. Ephesians 1 says it very explicitly. The moment you believe in the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit seals you. You have the Holy Spirit. And then we often have different gifts. And Paul's going to say, you know what? Some of these weird gifts are actually kind of distracting. I would really prefer it if everybody just spoke truth to one another in love. That's really what Paul is pressing the Corinthian church towards, being less impressed with miraculous gifts and more impressed with the basics of just loving Jesus and encouraging others in the truth. That's what Paul's calling them to. And then here's a final one. This is a little more of a modern way of saying this, but some people would say real Christians are bold extroverts with no modesty or shame, right? And if you have any introversion, any shyness, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. You ever feel that way? I know you're not going to raise your hand. Um, thank you. <laughs> Paul's going to say, no, there are some members of the body of Christ that have more modesty, that, that need a little more privacy. And the more bold members are going to pitch in and give that modesty and privacy. Here's a weird analogy for this. Um, Just like the body, we cover some parts more than others, right? Now, Texas is a hot place. We've had a weird, like, two cold winters that we're going through right now, right? But generally, it's a hot place. I wear sandals all the time, y'all. You'll notice I'm not wearing sandals right now. Why is that? Well, because this stage is at eyeball height. And I just don't want you looking at my toes when I'm trying to preach the Word of God, right? (laughs) I don't mind if you see my toes during the week, but during the sermon, I just don't want that to be a distraction, right? I I give my toes special modesty. I cover them so that they don't distract you. I hope that's not a too distracting analogy for you. But Paul's going to say in the text, there's parts of the body of Christ that are more shy, that need more covering, and then there are parts of the body that are bolder. Don't fall for this idea that, oh, the bold, out there, brash leaders, those are the ones that have the Holy Spirit working them. No, Shy ones too. If you're a behind the scenes kind of person, the spirit is at work in your life and we need you. We need you in the body of Christ. So here's how he says in the text. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Did you hear that? Think about half of you this morning need to hear that again. Here it is. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. God says you're indispensable. He goes on in verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated treated with greater 
modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He's saying, we all pitch in. We all help each other out. One of you is shy, let the bold one help you out. One of you is bold, let the shy one help you out, right? One of you is stronger, let the weak one support you. One of you is weaker, let the strong one support you. We all, we all work together. And so we've said this again and again. Every time Paul gives us a list of the different gifts in the body of Christ, he's number one, pushing against the local way of esteeming certain gifts too much, right? You'll see him kind of rearrange the order to counteract their thinking in the local church. Like here, purposely, because they're all fascinated by this foreign language tongue speaking, he keeps putting it at the end and saying, it's really not that important, y'all. And so he's kind of turning their, their list on its head. But another thing we notice is when we compare all the different lists of spiritual gifts that Paul gives and all the different places and what Peter says and the other scriptures, we notice that it's not that important. I said this last week. It's not that important that you know your exact gift. Number one, it's kind of common sense Number two, Paul's going to go on in chapter 13 and say, love is the important thing. Just, just love each other, right? So use your ideal gift, but maybe now's not the time for that gift. Maybe out of love, you use your secondary gift or your third gift or the thing you're not that good at because you're trying to love and support what's going on in the body of Christ. So knowing your exact gift in a scientific way is not that important. He goes on now. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, right? The apostles are the one that wrote the New Testament sent out by Jesus. Second, prophets. Now prophets, he, throughout 1 Corinthians, he's not using it in the Old Testament sense of writing the Bible. He's using it in a, in a kind of lower level, more common New Testament sense of just proclaiming the truth. And I think that, that bears up when you read everything he said about prophecy in 1 Corinthians. He's saying, I just want you to be speaking the truth in love to one another. He's not talking about predicting the future. He's just saying, will you just proclaim truth to one another? And the new covenant, the promises are always that all of us, every member of the body of Christ will have that ability to proclaim truth to one another. We can all encourage one another in love. So he says, secondly, prophets, third, teachers. Then he starts listing more kind of miraculous stuff than miracles, than gifts of healing helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? This is a rhetorical question he's asking, and the answer is no, okay? For us to matter, are, are we all prophets? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? He's going to go on, do we all work, uh, where is it? Do all possess gifts of uh, healing? Do all work miracles? Uh, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No, the answer is no, we're not we're not all doing all of these things, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. As I said, he's going to keep pushing back to these gifts of, of truth speaking. Now, in our church, we believe that there are, you know, the office of elder and pastor is, is, is somewhat separate, right? Like you have to be vetted uh, to preach. We don't just like any, let anybody randomly preach. But we all want to speak the truth in love to one another. And Paul throughout chapter 13, chapter 14 of this book, he's going to keep pushing towards that. Will you encourage one another with scripture? Will you speak the truth to one another? Will you exhort one another? Will you build each other up 
in love and in truth. He's going to press towards that. And then he ends with, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's the cliffhanger. We're going to learn more about that in the next two weeks, the way of love. Love is the most important thing. We will, it'll tell us we'll love forever. Even in heaven, we'll keep loving one another. Love is the most important thing that makes everything else worthwhile. So what are the mechanics of partnering? Well, I think it's helpful, number one, to think about what's your passion. What are you passionate about? That's a good clue, but that's not everything, right? Because you might be really passionate about something, but you're not actually blessing the body with it. So secondly, you want to say, well, what's the community feedback I'm getting? Like you might be passionate about this thing, but when you do this other thing, you're really encouraging the body. You're loving the body. You're building up others in the name of Jesus. And so that may be more of what you should focus on. And then finally, it's really important to add to this mix, what's the opportunity, right? You might be passionate about something. You get feedback that it really encourages others and you're doing it at this one church and then God may call you to another church and they just don't need that there, right? They may need you to do something else. So all of these things work together. Uh, One of my favorite illustrations of this is an Old Testament story where the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites. Some of you may be familiar with this story. It's where Moses is lifting the staff of God. It's symbolic of God's power. And when he lifts it over the battle, the people start winning the battle. Uh, But Moses starts getting tired and he like wants to put his head down and and take a rest. It's hard for him to keep lifting the staff. Do y'all remember what happens in the story? He's got helpers that come along and lift his hands. Yeah, it's really cool. I grabbed a, a sculpture. This is by a, a lady that does sculpture named Deborah Wood. And so you've got these two men lifting Moses' hands as he lifts the staff over the battle. Sometimes that's our, our call with our gifts, right? Like there will be phases in our life where it might be about us, in a sense, using our gift. Like I'm really trained at this and God's given me these supernatural talents and abilities that I can use this to bless other people in the name of Jesus. Other times it's just like, no, he's just called me to help this other person. He's just called me to attach myself to someone and to help them to use their gifts. Again, we we see all this in the natural body. Sometimes my right hand gets to do right hand stuff. Sometimes it's broke and my left hand has to do stuff or it's supporting the right hand. And so Paul is saying, your gift is not all that important, but using whatever you have, throwing everything and the kitchen sink at it to love each other and build each other up in the body of Christ. So the question for you is, what's the next step of using your gifts for God's glory or supporting other people's gifts for God's glory? A book I've read on organizational leadership is called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Um, And Patrick Lencioni talks about this just from observation, that there are businesses that hire the most talented executives, but a business with mediocre talent and unity will beat the talented organization every time. We see this in the sports world as well, right? See the superstar that may have the best stats in the world, but if he can't get along with his team, it's not going to do much good. The body of Christ should be unified. It's not about how gifted and amazing we are. It's about us working together in love under the headship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our head. So what's the next step for you? Um, is God calling you to fill a specific role? 
We have needs here at the church. As I said, it'd be amazing if, if we had more people giving. It'd be amazing if we had more people serving with kids. It'd be amazing if we had more people hosting small groups. We could make an incredible impact on the city for the gospel if we had more and more people awakened to God using you and your spiritual gifts. You may just need to take the next step of saying, hey, I'm hurting. I need help. I need to get healing, right? I might be an arm in the body of Christ, but I, I think I need to have a cast or be put in a sling for a little while. Bring that to the leadership so we can work with you to help you get healthy again. Or you might be in the place of taking that next step of saying, I just, I just want to come alongside someone else. I want to be an apprentice or a helper, help someone else with their ministry. I like the idea of hosting a small group, but it kind of scares me. Maybe I could help another small group leader to host a small group, right? Or maybe I could help a Sunday school teacher. I don't want to teach a lesson, but maybe I could help out, uh, help manage kids while someone else teaches the lesson. What does it look like for you? What's the next step that you could take? And again, we'd love to have you fill out those official partnership membership forms, letting us know who you are, telling us your story of faith. Uh, and we'd be honored if you would financially partner with our church as well, that we'd have all the body parts partnering together. So this brings us to the last point. We need to find the spiritual power for true partnership. I'm going to go back to the first couple of verses, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. Find the spiritual power for true partnership. So back at verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So again, he's saying, this is how Christ, our Savior, supernaturally works in the world. We live in a time where Jesus has said, I'm going to use people, broken people, to impact the world. Isn't that amazing? God wants to work through you and through me in the local church. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's a supernatural transformation that takes place when you say, Jesus, I see that you came for me. I see that you've forgiven me of my sins. By, by dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins, Jesus took away our punishment. And by rising from the dead, he gives us his resurrection life. He's proven that he has had victory over sin and death. Through that supernatural exchange of faith, we're part of the body of Christ. He talks about baptism here. And the New Testament uses kind of interchangeably the supernatural baptism of becoming one with Christ by faith. And the New Testament often blurs that with the symbolic step of making it public, right? Symbolically, Christians for 2,000 years have publicly affirmed the spiritual reality by being washed in water. It's a symbolic ritual where we are acting out what we believe is spiritually true of us by faith. So I believe by faith that Jesus has washed away my sin, and I believe by faith that Jesus has put to death the old me when he died on the cross and given me new resurrection life. Again, by faith in Jesus, just ask him. You could ask him right now, and you could be spiritually baptized, resurrected from spiritual death. You could have new life in Christ by just asking him to save you, to forgive you. Just ask him. But then I'd encourage you to take the next step of, of publicly, socially showing others what Jesus has done for you. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is just saying publicly what Jesus has already done in your heart. So, yeah, Jesus has saved me. And now I want to show that to the church. I want to publicly join a local church and begin partnering 
with that local church. He says, you're all baptized into this one body. And we're all from different backgrounds, right? Baptism is a way of revoking our background. It's a way of saying, you know what? Growing up the way I grew up was not enough. The education I had was not enough. My natural skills and talents and gifts are not enough. Only Jesus is enough. So now I'm going to boast in Jesus and not boast in my flesh. Baptism is a way of acting that out. He says, some of you are Jews, some of you are Greeks, some of you are slaves, some of you are free. You all came from different backgrounds. Whether you were proud or ashamed, Christ gives you new life. That's the spiritual power for true partnership. None of this will work unless the Spirit has awakened to you that God loves you and he wants to use you in the world. And he goes on again, uh, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Again, this is a supernatural work. This is not just a few leaders. The church is not just some leaders. The church is the whole body, and we all work together, and we can't function unless we are all working together. So I grabbed a picture here of someone getting baptized. Uh, Again, this is a, a physical thing we do to mark a spiritual reality. This might be the next step for a lot of you. A lot of you may maybe just beginning to believe that Jesus has washed away your sins, we encourage you to take the next step of saying, all right, Dave, I want to I get baptized. I want to make this public now. I want to define the relationship for the community and show, yeah, I really do belong to Jesus. We encourage you to take that next step and the other steps we've talked about as well, declaring that to the leadership of this church, partnering with this specific local church, or if, if you're just visiting here, maybe it's taking next steps at the other church that you're part of, but getting involved being an active member of the body of Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul lays out some similar themes. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. He says, Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. So the Corinthian church had a boasting problem. They were divided. Uh, They were saying that certain gifts are more important than others. We want to boast in the Lord. We want to say, yeah, my gift, my temperament, we're all different. None of us is more important than the other. Jesus is what binds us together. The Spirit giving us life, that's where I find find my sustenance. And God will use all of us because of his grace. So my question for you is, what, what are you boasting in? Are you boasting in self? Religious people often boast in, hey, look at, look at what I've done, right? The danger of me preaching a whole sermon on, hey, I want you to give and teach Sunday school and partner in the local church. The danger of that is you might think, oh, if, if I do these things, then God will finally be pleased with me. No, I'm afraid not. I wish I could say that because then I could manipulate more of you into partnering with the local church, right? But I'm bound to actually say what the Bible says, and that is your only hope is Jesus Christ. And our call to partner with the body of Christ is because he's already given you life. We're called to love because he first loved us. We're called to forgive because he first forgave us. We're called to serve because he first served us. And that's, that's ultimately the call. So as we wrap up here, one, one body in many parts, um, I just want to give you the vision of what, what could happen. Like as we all wake up together in scary times, in uncertain times, uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 3.20. He says, to him who is able to do far more than all we ask 
or imagined through Christ. To him be the praise. What is Paul saying there? He's saying as God is awakening his people, he's going to do more through us in local churches than we could even think of asking for. He's going to be doing more through us as a local church than we could even imagine. And local churches often get distracted with gifts and miraculous displays. What Paul keeps bringing our attention back to is, no, the miraculous work of the local church is to help people to believe in Jesus and then help people to grow to be more like Jesus, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. God will do more than we can ask or imagine because of his grace. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us and you call us um, to active partnership with what you're doing in the world. We recognize that you are the head, and we thank you that we get to be a part. Help us to be awake. Heal us. Help us to be fully engaged. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in our midst, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.